Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Online. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Uh, before we get started today, I want to make one very special announcement. We are launching weekly in-person worship services at our West Seattle campus on Sunday, September 25th. We have been meeting in Kimfolk groups on Sunday mornings uh, regularly now for two years, and we have been gathering once a month for in-person worship for about a year and a half. We are very excited to move into a brand new chapter for our church by meeting each and every week to experience a phenomenal new interactive teaching series called The Story. And the story is simply what it sounds like, a shortened story-like uh, but not altered version of the scriptural account that stitches together the main points of the overall narrative of the Bible in an easy-to-read format. Uh, we have ordered curriculum uh, books for every person in our church from oldest to youngest so that we can travel together through the story. All ages, from toddlers uh, and kids to middle school, high school, to every adult. Uh, all of you will receive uh, your own customized storybook when you come to our services. And I want to invite you personally to our first in-person message of the story series on Sunday, September 25th at 10 a.m. And every week thereafter, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun while working through this series together. And when we're finished, you will have a much better big picture understanding of the entire Bible. All right. Uh, today, we are finishing up our Revelation series, which is kind of bittersweet, I think. We have learned a lot from these letters to these seven churches written by Jesus himself with the help of John. Uh, if that's confusing, you can go back and listen to the first message whenever you like. Uh, in these letters, we've seen Jesus offer a lot of encouragement, but also lay out some serious challenges and corrections to these churches. And even though these letters weren't written to us, we have talked about how they were written for us and all other churches as a kind of litmus test for our faithfulness to Jesus. Are we staying true? Are we holding on? Remember that Jesus wants his church to have hope and live with holiness in the midst of hardship. This is an extremely important point, uh, but also kind of woefully ne neglected part of being a Christian today. It's incredibly easy for Christians and churches to become complacent and miss the target when it comes to becoming more and more the church that Jesus wants us to be. And this happens when church becomes more of a cultural thing that we do as opposed to being a family on mission together. We like the idea that Jesus wants to give us hope in the hardships we face, but we know that living out spiritually forming practices that demonstrate our holiness are actually hard, hard work. And that's why most of these letters have encouragement and correction in them. Last week, we talked about Jesus's letter to the church at Philadelphia, which is basically only encouraging. This week, however, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus's letter to the church at Laodicea, which basically is all correction. And this means this church is not doing anything noteworthy for Jesus to offer encouragement to them in that regard. They're not doing anything of which Jesus can say, good job, keep it up. Instead, he's like, look, it's time for a hard conversation. Sit down. Well, remember, as we've examined these letters, we figured out Jesus was concerned that these seven churches would be all he wanted them to be. And because of that, we also understand that Jesus is just as mindful and concerned about our church, West Seattle Christian Church, and that we would be all that he would have us be. So we are looking for Jesus to speak to us through these letters and form us to be like him and to be like the church he knows that we can be. 
like we've done with all these other letters, let's just first take a look at the culture of this city, Laodicea, and so that we can kind of see more clearly what Jesus is telling them and through that what he's telling us. First, Laodicea is located inland. It's not on an ocean. It is smack dab in between two other cities, Heropolis and Colossae. And you may have never heard of Heropolis before, but Colossae is the same Colossae that Paul wrote the letter to Colossians to that you can find in the New Testament. And actually, Colossae and Heropolis were much smaller and uh, less significant than the city of Laodicea. Heropolis was known for these mineral hot springs that you can still visit today. It was a really popular destination for Roman soldiers on leave. It was popular with wealthy Romans. It was kind of like a resort town. And Colossae, on the other hand, was known for its cold water source. There were these mountains near Colossae. Uh, actually, it was a very mountainous region with significant snowpack. Uh, and the snowmelt was known prov for providing tributaries of really cold water that flowed down to the river near this town. So now we also talked about how this area uh, was known for its earthquakes. Philadelphia that we talked about last week was renamed a few times because of these earthquakes and Laodicea is not far from there. So in 60 AD, about 30 years before the book of Revelation was written, a major earthquake happened in this area and all tons of cities were affected. All three of these cities were damaged. The Roman government came in to help and Heropolis accepted that help. Colossae didn't even make the cut, unfortunately. They didn't get any help. And then uh, they also offered help to Laodicea, but the people of Laodicea actually refused the aid that was offered. They were kind of like self-sufficient. They said, we're going to rebuild our own city because we're wealthy enough. And so they did. And after they rebuilt their city, and since they had their own mint, they made coins with this slogan on them. We did it ourselves. Now, our U.S. currency has the phrase, in God we trust. But these people put, we did it ourselves. So it's kind of like just putting, in ourselves we trust. So, to say the least, there seems to be a lot of pride going on here, generally speaking, anyway. A couple more things. Laodicea also made a specific type of cloth. There was a lot of cotton fields around there, and that cloth was really uh, popular throughout the Roman Empire. And weirdly enough, they were also known for this special kind of mud that was very rich in minerals. And they used the mud to kind of make a uh, medicinal salve that people used for all kinds of eye problems and ailments. So they are right between Heropolis with its warm hot springs and Colossae with its cold water. And these two watersheds traverse the land until they met in the middle near Laodicea. They have mineral-rich mud that's good for treating eye issues. And they also had really lukewarm mineral water that nobody enjoyed drinking. So to sum it up, they had really bad water. So with all of that in your theological bucket, <laughs> let's read the letter and then talk about it a bit. And we're going to start in uh, chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And you say... I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. 
So it's kind of like, bam, he's pretty much coming at him right from the start. And you can see right away how he's using all the imagery from the culture uh, to challenge them. Jesus calls himself by three titles here. In each of the letters, he brings up titles for himself. And he calls himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. Now, Amen is what we say at the end of prayers. It just means it is true or truly, truly. That's why we end our praise prayers by saying Amen. We're basically saying, yes, I agree with the things that were prayed in this prayer. May they be. May it be so. So Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's faithful and true. I am the truth of truths. I'm the ruler of creation, which means he's like, I sustain everything and all of nature. He's the one who holds it all together. But these are prideful people who minted money that said we did it ourselves. So Jesus is confronting their pride, their self-sufficiency. He's saying, ultimately, I'm the only one who's faithful and true. I am the only one who will hold it all together. And then Jesus calls them out and says, I wish you were either cold or hot. And I think you get the obvious reference he's making here to the lukewarm water of Laodicea. It's also one of these phrases that's really popular in the church. I don't know how many teachings I've heard about this in my life where I was taught Jesus just wants you to get off the fence from this particular verse. Stop being a lukewarm Christian. You're either in or you're out. Jesus would rather have you fully reject him than play games with him. But is that really what he's saying? I think I think he's certainly saying don't be lukewarm, but he's not using cold and hot to uh, have some kind of scale for how sold out you are. He's saying you got you got hot mineral water from Heropolis that was good for restoring and healing. If you got cold water from Colossae that's refreshing and it could quench your thirst. And this is way back before hot water heaters and there's no refrigeration way before that ability. The only water here that's not useful to them is lukewarm water. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be useless. I want you to be a useful Christian, not a Christian who just sits around, which is why he says at the beginning, I know your deeds. And Christians of Laodicea, you aren't doing much of anything right now. They aren't becoming more like Jesus. They aren't reaching their community for Jesus one person at a time. They aren't serving the poor. They aren't looking after orphans and widows. They're just kind of wearing the name Christian, and they're just sitting there. These are tough words. And this should cause you and I to pause for a moment and be like, yeah, what am I doing? How am I being useful to Jesus? But in the next few verses, Jesus lets us know that a lukewarm Christian can become useful again. And it's all about our awareness, because there's a connection between our awareness of our own need for Jesus and then our ability to be useful as a representative for Jesus in this world. I want you to look at verses 17 and 18 again. They say, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And the Christians here are saying, look, we're rich. We don't need anything. We got it covered. But Jesus says, in reality, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And these Christians are living in a city that's known for its wealth. Remember the coins that they minted? <laughs> we did it ourselves, but it doesn't matter how much money they have because Jesus says they are spiritually poor. 
And they're living in a city known for its eye medication, the salve. But it doesn't matter how much salve they have because they're spiritually blind, according to Jesus. They're living in a city known for rich clothing fabric that everyone in the empire wants. But it doesn't matter because Jesus says they're spiritually naked. These people, and really all people, are truly lost without Jesus. And we can try to hide behind wealth and possession, whatever things we want to use to make ourselves feel comfortable in this life. But when it comes down to it, we have nothing without Jesus. We are hopelessly lost without Jesus. So Jesus talks about their spiritual state. Really, he's talking about our spiritual state. And then he gives them an invitation. If you want to be truly rich, you can go to Jesus and he will give you treasure. It's not going to be earthly treasure. It's going to be treasure in heaven that lasts forever. If you want to have treasure that lasts, that survives the ups and downs of this world, the ups and downs, like the stock market, that's what you get when you serve and put your hope and trust in Jesus, treasure that lasts. And Jesus will give you new clothes to wear. We've seen this symbol over and over in Revelation where Christians are always depicted wearing new white clothes. It symbolizes that Jesus has washed them clean. It symbolizes a fresh new start. And we also see that Jesus promises to heal their spiritual vision so that they can see things the way that he sees them, the way they truly are. Why is it so important for these Christians in Laodicea to realize their need for Jesus? Why is it important for us to realize that? It's because awareness is connected to usefulness. Let's say it like this. The more aware you are of your need for Jesus, the more useful you can be to Jesus. And the opposite of that is also true. The more convinced we are that we don't need Jesus, then the less useful we are to him. This is really about surrender. We need to surrender to Jesus in order to be used by Jesus. And it's as simple as that. If we don't think we need Jesus, then we are not going to care about the things he cares about, and we're not going to do the things that he wants us to do. But the more aware you are of your need for Jesus the more useful you can be to him. Now, if you're not a believer, you might be thinking, this is the first time I've ever heard this. I'm not sure I even have a need for Jesus. I'm not sure I even believe that. I don't know if I even believe this stuff. That's fair enough. But I would ask you to consider your life. What are the things you're giving your life to and that you're chasing? And I would ask you, are those things going to truly last? Are they going to satisfy you forever, ultimately? Just think down the road a little bit. Just consider that question because Jesus' invitation is for you. It's for all of us. But I also want to remind you that Jesus isn't talking to unbelievers in this passage. He is actually specifically talking to Christians here who are just Christians in name only. In essence, he's kind of calling them fakers, pretenders, actors. He's talking to believers then, and he's talking to believers today who wear the name Christian but they're pretending. They aren't actively trying to be more like Jesus. They aren't serving others. They aren't doing anything except for sitting around while the world goes to hell. Like I said, this is a tough word from Jesus, and we need to hear it. But we also need to hear what comes next. In verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus makes it clear that he is calling out these believers because he loves them. There's this great verse in Proverbs 3, uh, 11 and 12. It says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I mean, right? This is just like any parent who loves his kids. There has to be some correction. So there has to be some learning and growing. Jesus is coming across this strong because he loves these believers. He wants them to thrive and succeed. Now, here's my biggest fear when it comes to this passage, it's that believers would be discouraged by Jesus's words instead of provoked into action. Because it's really under, important that we understand Jesus's motivation is love. And here's the reality, because I, I'm, I've been around church for a long time, so I know how, I know this is how it works. The people who are most likely to hear Jesus's words here and think, yeah, I should be doing more for Jesus. You know who those people are? It's the people who are already serving. And if you're already serving and you're feeling bad about not serving more, I just want to I just want to remind you that what Jesus really wants is not your service. What he really wants is you. He wants a relationship. He wants to have a conversation. He wants you to follow his lead. He wants you to realize your deep need for him. He wants you to serve for the right reasons, which is a relationship. The primary audience that Jesus is speaking to here is the person who has been in church for a long time and they've worn the name Christian for a long time, but they have not really admitted their deep need for him. To this person, Jesus says, be earnest and repent. He says, you need to be honest with yourself about where your loyalty really lies. You need to repent. And repent means to change direction and get back on the path. In order to get back on the path, first you have to change your thinking and go, oh, I'm in the wrong spot. You, ha you, have to, you may have been thinking you're on the right path already, but you're now discovering you veered off course a long time ago. And however back along the timeline you veered off, the further that you, are, you are away from that path. So Jesus is saying, become aware. Think through your lifestyle and be honest with where you're at right now. What happens if you do that and you realize, man, I am way off course. I need to get my relationship with Jesus straightened out. I need to get back on track. If that's where you find yourself today, don't be discouraged because that's where Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is just waiting for you to open the door and let him in. This and that's the really that's really the other famous passage from this part of the letter. When I was growing up, I heard this part of the passage quoted all the time by the pastor or whoever was preaching or speaking, and they were always asking, "Who wants to give their life to Jesus for the first time?" Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him into your heart today? And that may be true, but the main message of this verse is directed at the people who have already done that. This is directed at people who are already Christians. Jesus is saying to these believers in Laodicea. And to us, if you let me in, I would love to sit down and eat with you. And at that time, eating was with someone was a really big deal. It meant establishing a connection, making and building a close relationship. You want to be friends. And what we see in this verse is the longing of Jesus. He wants to be in relationship with you. 
we're meant to serve Jesus while having a real relationship with him. Our service for Jesus flows from our relationship with him. It's not just service for service sake. Ultimately, Jesus gives this rebuke, and it's a challenge to stop being lukewarm because he cares about these Christians. He cares about you and me. This discipline is motivated by love. These words from Jesus echo some words we find in Isaiah 55, and they're really important because they show that this is where God's heart has always been. His heart has always been this. Let me read them for you. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money? On what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy that's a good question listen listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair give ear and come to me listen that you may live I'll make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to David and then jump down to verse 6 seek the Lord while he may be found call on him while he is near so what does this look like? Are you ready to surrender your life so he can use you in powerful ways? That's a question. Here's my encouragement for you, especially if you have been a lukewarm Christian for a long time. You just need to take action. You just, you just need to start by taking one step. You've never talked with someone about your faith. You need to share your testimony with just one person. Just one person. Start there. Start by reading one or two verses tonight before you go to bed or read a chapter with your family together or with your significant other. Start by praying one honest, heartfelt prayer. And if you don't have the words to do that, pray, open your Psalms, open, open the Psalms and pray one of those because they're brutally honest in every color of every emotion you can imagine. Start by signing up to get baptized if you've never taken that step. Start by signing up to be in a kinfolk group if you haven't ever joined one yet. Just once, do it, and then keep going. Start by becoming a, maybe a greeter in church. Start by talking to, to Beth about serving in our middle school ministry or our kids' city. Start by joining the worship team. Start by praying for our missionaries. Start by getting involved with one of the local nonprofits we partner with. There are lots of different next steps to take on our website and on our church app. Just take one next step. He's not talking. Jesus is not talking about running a whole marathon right here. He's just saying one next step, just one next step. It's about forward movement. It's one step towards spiritual maturity and then another and then another. And this is what it looks like to leave lukewarm Christianity behind. Just take one step. Well, I want to close this series today with a benediction about our motivation because it takes motivation to take that next step. May the love of Jesus be your motivation. May you serve because Jesus first served you. May you love because Jesus first loved you. May you realize your deep need for Jesus. May you realize that in your time of need, Jesus will come to meet you. And may you surrender your lives to Jesus and for Jesus realizing your great need for him. He will transform you from the inside out and use your life in amazing ways. I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.